0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Beatitudes, the series that we've been on this summer, really, in, in a lot of ways, it's really Jesus kind of, again, showing us His heart, the heart of the Father, and then really calling us to be imitators, to live out that same example uh, that He is giving through both teaching and His lifestyle, and uh, so we've been kind of uh, really focusing on uh, the Beatitudes these last couple of weeks, uh, and the Beatitudes are probably one of the most famous teachings that Jesus ever gave. As a matter of fact, it, it's even well known in, 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 other religions, uh, this teaching that Jesus uh, gives us there. And as I mentioned at you know, the very beginning of this series, one of the interesting facets about the Beatitudes to me is that there are, are basically eight of them. And the first four of those Beatitudes are uh, kind of what most people would perceive as kind of negative. Whereas the last four, most people would perceive them as positive. Now, the first 4 We've kind of talked about this. They're kind of viewed maybe as countercultural. This isn't, you know, our natural inclination. This isn't how the world um, reacts or responds. It kind of goes against the grain of what society would deem as good, admirable, worth pursuing. Things like blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't like poverty of any kind. And so there's a resistance. There's a, a pushback to being poor in anything. There is blessed are those who mourn. I mean, we want to be happy. We don't, we don't want to be mourning. We don't want to be crying. We, we view that, again, as, as a, a depressing concept. And so we push against that. Blessed are the meek. Meek rhymes with weak. We don't want to be a doormat. And so, again, we push against that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As we talked last week, we don't like to hunger and thirst for anything, let alone righteousness. And so again, those first four, they're they're counter-cultural. It it really kind of goes against the grain of how the world thinks, how the world uh, feels called to live life. Those are virtues, qualities that again are viewed by many as kind of negative, to be uh, avoided, much less pursued. And yet Jesus says, these four... Are really the pathway to blessing these last four now again are ones that we would consider more favorable more admirable more positive blessed are the merciful we like mercy especially when that mercy is directed our way blessed are the pure in heart we love innocence We love seeing innocence in others. Blessed are the peacemakers. We all want peace, and and we want to be instruments of God's peace in the world. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, just for the sake of doing the right thing. So again, most people, whether they're a Christian or not, would look at these and say, I like these. These are positive. These are admirable. These are worth pursuing. These are virtues and qualities I would like to see played out, lived out in my life. But we want to teach these. We want to pass these along. We want to ingrain these in our children. That's how we kind of view these last four Beatitudes. So this morning, I want to kind of start looking at the first of those four more positive, admirable Uh, qualities of the beatitude found there in Matthew 5-7, and there Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, right off the bat, you kind of get the sense here, what you give is what you get you give mercy, you're going to receive mercy. And this kind of goes along the same spiritual principle of forgiveness. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven in return. I mean, Jesus teaches us that in the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. It's a prayer we have all prayed. We probably have memorized where Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then just so we don't miss the point, like a couple of verses, Verses later, Jesus kind of expounds on that part of the Lord's Prayer, and there in verse 14, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not and refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So like forgiveness, again, when we give mercy, we will receive mercy. Now that Greek word for mercy, it really is kind of derived from the Old Testament Hebrew and Latin word for mercy. And really the whole idea of mercy there and what Jesus is teaching, it's more than just being compassionate. Oftentimes we kind of think of mercy as just, you know, extending pity, Toward people, or I feel sorry for you. I feel bad for what you're going through. I I feel empathy for for where you're at and and, and the situation you're trying to struggle through. uh, Mercy in, in, in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew, Latin, Greek meaning, it means more than just having compassion for someone who is in trouble. Hest, which is the Old Testament word for mercy, Hest or mercy is really defined. Now get this. It is really defined and it is really understood as the ability of getting inside the skin of another person. It's really getting... To where you so identify with the other person that you're kind of able to see life or, or what they're going through through their eyes. You're kind of feeling what they're going through with their eyes. Feelings. You're, you're kind of able to think and to see the situation the way they're thinking and seeing the situation. Now, as I stated a couple of weeks ago, if you take the eight beatitudes and you kind of just start with the first one. And you kind of just begin to go down the list of those beatitudes. What you will discover is the further down the list you go, the more difficult they become to live out. And so this is really Again, a great example of of the degree of difficulty that comes into play in this particular beatitude. So the kind of mercy that Jesus is calling us to bring is more than just this emotional wave of pity or compassion. The kind of mercy that Jesus is talking about here is kind of this intentional kind of deliberate identification with another person to the point where you are almost literally going through what they're going through. You're kind of able to feel what they're feeling as if it's happening to you. You kind of are able to see the situation from their perspective so well that it's almost like this is your perspective. This would be akin to that old adage of walking a mile in my shoes. Have you ever had somebody say that? To you? Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. I mean, walk a mile in my shoes. What they're asking you to do is to identify with me. And once you identify with me to the point of seeing this from my perspective, I think you'll have a better understanding. Of this. So that's where that, that, uh, that, I don't know if they would call it a, You know, adage or whatever, but that's the idea behind it. Walk in my shoes. This is one of the ideas that that Jesus is calling us to in expressing this kind of mercy that I so identify with what you're going through, that that I can see it through your eyes. I can feel it through your feelings. I can think it through your mind. I've really kind of gotten in the inside of you. And again, what makes this virtue or this quality so difficult, and let's be honest, oftentimes when we're going through a situation, and especially something that's difficult, maybe involving conflict with another person, we get so self-focused. We get so absorbed. In our perspective, our feelings, our way of looking at it, that we really don't take the time to ask, how are they seeing this? What are they thinking in terms of this? What are they going through? I know what I think, I feel, I'm going through Again, this is where it takes time. This is the degree of difficulty that this kind of mercy calls us to. It's stopping what is going on inside of you and begin asking what may be going on inside of them. That's kind of this first step in in exercising this kind of mercy. When we become so self-absorbed or just so self-focused and we take little or no time to really look or to think about the situation at hand from any other perspective of our own. We're not going to take the time, much less the effort, to stop and to begin to look at how is this affecting the other person. I know how it's affecting me. How is it affecting them? Again, if we would just take that time, I mean, this would would make a tremendous difference in, in how we approach certain situations, and it would make a tremendous difference and begin to kind of pave the way to expressing the kind of mercy that Jesus is calling us to. Again, the virtue, virtue or quality of mercy, it kind of beckons us. It kind of calls us to really get inside the head of the other person the skin of the other person, to the degree that you can almost see the the situation, the issue, the perspective, as clearly from their side of things as you do from your own. Now again, when you look at mercy in this way, you kind of begin to understand this is exactly what God did in sending Jesus Christ to this world as a human being. In Jesus Christ, I mean in the most literal sense God entered into the human race. God got inside the skin of the human race and became a human being. And that's why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. In that when Jesus came, I mean, he literally got inside the skin of humanity. And Jesus was able to see life through human eyes. Up to this point, God had not experienced what it was like to be clothed in human flesh. But in order to identify with us what it's like to be human, God sent Jesus Christ. He came, was clothed with human flesh so he could see life through our eyes, that he could feel life through our feelings, that he could think human Thoughts Like we think human thoughts. God knows what life, what human life is like. What it is to be a human being. Because God experienced life as you and I experience life. God knows what it is to struggle with temptation. God knows what it is to experience grief. When Jesus became a human being, God was able to understand what it's like through a human experience to lose loved ones. I know the scriptures don't really give any insight into this, but at some point along Jesus' life, he loses his earthly father, Joseph. That had to affect him as a human being. So he knows, God knows from personal human experience what it is to lose a loved one. Remember, he stood at the grave of Lazarus, and the scripture says he wept. He knows what it is to experience grief. He knows what it is to be hungry, to be betrayed by friends, to be misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood before? Jesus knows What it's like to be misunderstood. He knows how that feels. I love what Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 14 says, and and listen to this. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. That's you and I. He's referring to us. We're human beings made of flesh and blood. He said the son, referring to Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Do you realize that when Jesus died, one of the things he did in his death was he broke the power of the devil? That's what the scripture says. Oftentimes, I'll hear believers sometimes that, that they'll just give the devil so much credit for the bad things that are going on in their lives. You know, they'll, they'll be out doing something, oh, the devil made me do that. How many of you remember Flip Wilson and Laugh-In? I mean, I'm dating myself on that. But that was one of his favorite sayings, oh, the devil made me do it. And oftentimes, we just ascribe so much power to the devil. And I oftentimes think, you know, for some of us, the devil just wakes us up in the morning and we kind of take it from there. We're just so busy blaming the devil for everything. Well, Jesus says, you know what? When I died, I broke the power, the penalty of the devil who had the power of death. And it says, only in this way could he free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. If you're here this morning and you fear death and you're a believer, the Bible says you have nothing to fear in death because in the death of Jesus, he broke the power, the fear of living our lives as slaves to the fear of death. As a believer, we have nothing to fear in death. So therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. That's identifying with someone where you are, where you just, you're, you're with them. You're, you understand in, in every respect what it is to be like. Also, when I, I wanted to go back. I, I skipped over that one. It says, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. Isn't that good news? Jesus did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Well, who's that? That's us. He didn't come to help angels. He came to help human beings. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and his sisters. Now, now why was it important for Jesus in every respect to become like us? Well, the writer in Hebrews says, so that he could be merciful jesus said blessed are the merciful and i am merciful so he says so that he could become merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could make a sacrifice to take away the sins of the people since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us. He is able to understand what we're going through. He is able to help us when we are being tested, tried, tempted, however you want to phrase that word. He understands by virtue of being a human being what it is to experience life and because he is merciful he has so identified with us that he actually came and was made a human being like you and I so you're not able to look at god and say you don't know what it's like to be human you don't know what it's like to to have flesh and blood god would say no i do as a matter of fact, I sent my son who became clothed with human flesh. And he is now a part of the Godhead. There is a human being, albeit glorified, resurrected human being, that now sits by virtue of Jesus coming as a human being. There is a human being now that sits among the Godhead, interceding on our behalf. He's become merciful. He's that faithful, high priest before God on our behalf. That's good news. Now, part of what enables Jesus to be so merciful toward us was because as a human being, he had the opportunity to get right inside the skin of mankind. God, through Jesus Christ, he was able to see things through human eyes, think things with a human mind, and feel things with human feelings. The only thing Jesus never experienced that is common to the rest of us was sin. Jesus was sinless, and it was his sinless nature that enabled him to come and to take the sins of mankind upon himself, and he literally became sin for us That when he died and his blood was shed, it was the perfect sacrifice. And it satisfied all of God's demands for the wages of sin. And so when Jesus did that, he did that so you and I could be restored, that we could be forgiven, we could be redeemed, we could be saved. So again, when you find yourself in a struggle, maybe you're here this morning, you're dealing with temptation or you're dealing with a situation And you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. Maybe you're feeling confusion. You're feeling overwhelmed by something that's happening in your life. You can turn to Jesus. And there you will discover, just simply by virtue of him becoming a human being, you will uh, will discover a God who understands all too well what you're going through, what you're feeling, and he is there to help you. He didn't come to help angels. He came to help you. It's like God saying, I've been there. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're going through. And it's partly what makes him so merciful towards you and towards me. Now, mercy can also really kind of be better understood when you set it aside alongside of some of God's other attributes like grace. One interesting note regarding the New Testament writings of the Apostle Paul is you will find there are certain epistles where Paul kind of begins the introduction to that epistle, and he talks about the grace and the peace of God. But you'll find certain epistles, what theologians call are the pastoral epistles, and what is interesting about the pastoral epistles is, is Paul will add the word mercy in there with grace and peace. Now, one of the best definitions I have really ever found and come across distinguishing between grace and mercy, it is this. He says, grace is especially associated with humanity in their sins. Mercy is especially associated with mankind in their Misery. Now, again, that's a, a great definition. Let me just kind of unpack that in some different ways. In other words, what, what he's saying here is grace looks down upon sin as a whole. Mercy kind of focuses and is more concerned with the consequences of sin. So that really mercy is kind of, there's not just this compassion with mercy, but with that compassion and mercy there comes this desire to this this compelling to action so that is the essential meaning of merciful it is compassion but it's also Compassion with an action, a plan to alleviate the misery, the suffering brought about by sin and rebellion. Does that make sense? Now, one biblical story that kind of illustrates what I'm trying to say to you um, is the story of the Good Samaritan found in chapter 10. Jesus tells the story of a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and in the midst of his journey, he is met by robbers who who steal all of his stuff, they they beat him, and they basically just kind of leave him there on the road for dead. Jesus says in the story, a priest is approaching, sees the scene of the crime, the man lying there injured, and he crosses over to the other side of the road and walks by. And Jesus says, and then a Levite, he kind of walks up, he sees the, the, the crime scene, and likewise, he also crosses onto the other side of the road and passes by the man. Jesus says, then a Samaritan whom the Jews hated. Jesus used the illustration of a Samaritan, said, A Samaritan likewise approaches, sees the man lying there. Instead of crossing over to the other side, the man goes to his aid. And Jesus says, This man, he, he binds up his wounds, puts him on his horse, takes him to a hotel, and pays the bill. Now, the priest and the Levite in that story, they may have had compassion on the man. They may have had pity for him, but it didn't move them to do anything to alleviate or relieve the man's suffering. The Samaritan had compassion, and based on that compassion, he felt moved. He felt compelled to do something to alleviate the the, the suffering of that man. That is mercy. That's what Jesus is getting at here. If all we have is compassion, oh, I feel so sorry for you. But there's nothing to be done to alleviate the the suffering, the pain that the individual's in. Jesus, that's not mercy. We had a great example of this last Sunday morning. I mean, it's first service, and I think it was maybe like about 10 till 9 last Sunday. And, And this woman, I didn't know who she was, walked in the front doors, and she is just waving her arms, I mean, just wild and erratic, and I just, my first thought was, "This, this chick is tripping. Janie, my wife, she comes out of nowhere, takes this woman, takes her into the back room, shuts the door, and begins to relieve her suffering. Woman hadn't slept in three days homeless. I don't know, maybe the last time she'd had a meal. And Janie's like, okay, we got we to relieve the suffering. See, I, I was compassionate. And I had pity on this woman. But mine only went so far as to say, man, this chick is tripping. Janie takes the compassion and she puts it To action, to relief. That's mercy. That's that's what Jesus is saying. When you show that kind of mercy, you're going to get that mercy in return. Now, I may have eventually gotten to that place, and I've done that before, where I've seen people's suffering. And and I feel moved to do something about that. I don't want you walking out here thinking, boy, he is so heartless. But it's just, again, it's a great example there. A lot of times we do have pity for people. But that's not what Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, "Blessed are are those of th- those who are pitiful." Jesus said, "Blessed are those who are merciful, who through their compassion feel compelled to do something to alleviate the suffering of those they come upon." Again, we see this virtue of mercy when Jesus Christ came to Earth as a human being, the perfect combination of mercy. And being merciful is found by God's great love to send Jesus, Jesus' great love for us to come. God the Father saw the pitiful, wretched, just horrific estate of mankind brought about by sin. God saw what was happening to us, our suffering, our misery, because of the sin. God saw the suffering of humanity. God saw the wages of sin, which is death. And in spite of our willful rebellion against him, in spite of our rebellion against the laws of God, the Bible says God was moved with compassion. He didn't just feel sorry. He did something with that, and he sent his one and only begotten son. And Jesus came, and he acted on our behalf by going to the cross By taking our sins upon himself, his blood being shed so we could be forgiven, that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. That's mercy. And again, do do you understand why this becomes so difficult? Because again, for a lot of us, mercy is just, again, it's having a compassionate thought. It's kind of having a moment where you feel sorry for them, but not really doing anything to try to alleviate their suffering. That's why this has got to be more deliberate. It's got to be more intentional. There's a degree of difficulty to this. When you go from just having a thought to an action, it requires so much more of us. And being able, again, to try to get inside the head, the mind, the thoughts, the feeling of that person. How are you understanding this? How are you experiencing this? Help me see this through your eyes. Help me hear this through your ears. Help me feel what you're going through through your feelings. This takes time. This isn't easy. And that's why Jesus says you'll be blessed if you'll take the time, if you'll make the effort to display this kind of mercy to others because when you do, this kind of mercy will be measured back to you. Now, you may be here this morning. You're kind of sitting here and you're listening to what I'm saying. You're kind of thinking, Pastor, you just don't know. I mean, I've made such a mess of my life. I mean, if you could see what I see, feel what I feel, I mean, you would probably just be so disgusted because I know God, if there is a God, I know he sees my predicament. I know he sees my mess. I know God is all too familiar with my mistakes and my failures. And oh, pastor, if you only knew. I know God can forgive others, but I know I have just come to a place where my sin is so great, and it's so numerous, it's so deep, there's just no way the mercy of God could ever overcome that, that God could forgive me. You may be a Christian here this morning, and maybe you've turned your back on God a thousand times and just walked away. And right now, you've kind of just convinced yourself, because of that, God has got to be a million miles away from me now. And you're convinced that God wants nothing more to do with you. If that's you this morning, I want to just share something with you. A scripture that the Apostle Paul gave in Ephesians that really kind of paints a whole different picture Look at this from Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 3. He says, all of us used to be just as they are. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about the worst sinner. He's saying, you know what? All of us who are born again, saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, there was a time where we were just like them. Our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or evil thoughts might lead us into. Paul saying, we were no different than they are now. And look at what God has done for us. Look at what God has done with us He has forgiven us. He has restored us. He said, we started out bad, being born with evil natures. And we're under God's anger just like everybody else. See, folks, there was a time in my life, in Jim's life, where we were no better than you. Wherever you may be in all of that. But however, Paul says, let me just change the direction. God is so rich in mercy. It's not how bad you are, how empty your life is, how big your sin is, that's the turning point here. It's not how good you've been in the last week, the last month, that's the turning point here. As horrible, as wicked, as depraved, as all of us are, the turning point Here, Paul says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. We walk around and say, oh, Jesus loves me. God loves me. And and that's true. But no matter how much you know or have experienced of the love of God, I will guarantee you it is just a smidgen. It is just the tip off the iceberg of what the love of God is really all about. None of us have ever experienced the fullness of God's love. No matter how loved you feel by God right now, I'm telling you, it's not even close to the depth of the measure of his love for you and me. So this God, he's so rich in mercy. He is so abounding in unconditional love for us that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins. That's our our state. That's where God found us. Doomed in our sins. But God was not just having a compassionate thought. God was so compassionate, so merciful that he was compelled to act, to do something to relieve our misery brought about by sin. He gave us back our lives again when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead do you realize when we celebrate Easter part of what we're celebrating is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the reason we're celebrating that is because through his resurrection he has given us our lives back he has given us life to live as God intended life to be lived and to be experienced that's why Easter is such a celebration Only by his undeserved favor. Meaning you don't deserve anything you're getting from God. It's undeserved. But because he is so merciful and so loving. Have we ever been saved? But God is so rich in mercy, and because he is so rich and so abundant in mercy, he sees you and I. He sees us in our messes, in our sins, on our rebellions, in our failures, in our mistakes, and because of the richness of his mercy, he has moved with compassion to action on your behalf. He wants to relieve you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to help you. He wants to, to restore you. The richness of God's mercy, do you realize it's inexhaustible? All of the virtues, all of the qualities of God are inexhaustible. Meaning every time God dispenses mercy, every time God moves and gives mercy into your life, whatever mercy God uses, it is automatically restored. You can never exhaust or deplete the mercy of God. I don't encourage you to try that. But you can't. You cannot deplete, you cannot exhaust the love, the grace, the forgiveness of God. You can't exhaust it. You can't deplete it. God's never going to look at you in in your need of any of those things and say, sorry, fresh out today. As a matter of fact, Lamentations 3.22 says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never end. It goes on to say, his mercies are new each morning. Today is a new day. The mercy of the Lord never ends, never ceases. Psalm 31 verse 9, Lord, have mercy because I am in misery. My eyes are weak from so much crying, my whole being is tired from grief. Notice how they look at Their predicament, Lord, I'm miserable. My eyes are weak from so much crying. My whole being is consumed with grief. What attribute do they call on? Mercy. Why do they call on the mercy of God? Because they know God is compassionate and not just a feeling of compassion. But in that compassion, God will be moved on my behalf to relieve my misery, my suffering. Psalms 25, 16 does the same thing. Turn to me and have mercy on me because I am lonely and hurting. God wants to release his mercy. God just doesn't have compassionate thoughts. God isn't just pitiful towards you. He says, I am so compassionate that in that compassion I am moved to act on your behalf in such a way as to relieve your suffering. That is mercy. There's a famous story about President Abraham Lincoln's display of mercy. After the southern states were defeated by the northern states during the Civil War over 150 years ago, President Lincoln spoke to a multitude of people from a balcony there in Washington, D.C. at the White House. And he was beginning to lay out his plan and his vision for Reconstruction. At the end of his speech, a very famous senator, actually from the state of Iowa, James Harlan, shouted out and said, Mr. President, what do we do with the rebels What do we do with the Confederates who started this whole war in the first place? Mr. President, what do we do with these men? And this unmerciful crowd began to shout aloud, hang them, hang them, hang them. Lincoln's youngest son, Tad, was standing right alongside, 11 years old at the time, was standing right next to his father as his father made that speech. And he looked up at his father and he said, no, Papa, no. Not hang them, hang on to them. Lincoln grinned at his 11-year-old son, said, that's it. said, my son's got the answer. We're not going to hang them. We're going to hang on to them. That is mercy. God does not want to hang you. God wants to hang on to you. And in His mercy, this is what He does for you and I. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're going through. For some of you, this may be the first time that maybe you've ever heard the mercy of God. And maybe you just feel in the midst of that, you feel unworthy, you feel undeserving of that. I understand that every one of us in this room understands that feeling. And that's why Paul was very, very careful to talk about the grace of God as being undeserved. And God shows his mercy, his favor toward us, not because of anything we've done, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. So this morning, if you've never ever responded to the mercy of God this morning, and you're hurting, and you're lonely, and, and maybe you're broken, and your life is just a huge mess, I want you to know this morning, God is compassionate towards you. He understands what you're going through, and God just doesn't have a a pitiful thought concerning you, but God is saying to you this morning, I have so much compassion for you, for where you're at, for what you're going through, that I want to do something to alleviate the suffering, the pain, the misery you're going through that's been brought about by your own sin, by your own rebellion. And So maybe you've never responded to the mercy of God this morning. Maybe, again, you're here, and and this is the thousandth time. And you're just wondering, is there a a thousandth one second chance with God? I've walked away so many times. Is there ever a time that I can't walk back? The answer to that is no. That is the mercy of God. No matter how many times you walk away, because God is so rich in mercy, because God's love for you is so great, that God will never say no to another chance. His mercy for you this morning is such that he is moved to want to do something to alleviate the suffering and the distance between you and him this morning. And this is an opportunity just to respond to his mercy. He knows what it is to be human, he knows what it is to live life. Only he does it without the sin nature that we have. And this morning, there's no greater opportunity, no greater response than through communion. Because Jesus didn't just come to have pity. Jesus came to do something to alleviate the suffering of sin. And he did that by dying upon a cross. So he was crucified, his blood was shed, so that you and I could be forgiven, that we could live life as God intended life to be lived. And that's what communion is. It's just an acknowledgement of that. It's just thanking God For that mercy that he did something to alleviate our suffering. So every time we partake of that, we partake in gratitude of God's great mercy for us. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just thank you for your virtue. We thank you, God, for that quality, for the characteristic of your mercy. That, God, you have so identified with us to the extent that you took on human flesh and became one of us. And, God, you know what it is to live life, to experience life. You know the facets, the pitfalls, the temptations of life. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would again help us to understand that No matter what we're going through here today, God, you understand that. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that in your mercy, it's not just understanding what we're going through. But God, your mercy was such that you became flesh and you did something to alleviate our suffering and our pain. Father, we thank you, Lord, that through communion, that's just one measure of your mercy. Father, we thank you, Lord, that in sending the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, God, is another way that you've intervened on our behalf. That, God, not only have you forgiven us our sins, but, Father, you've come and you've given us the power, the presence of your Holy Spirit, that, God, we can begin to live life as life was meant to be lived, to live life through your perspective. So, Father, this morning, we just receive those measures of your mercy through communion, through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us. Father, we just thank you for that. And Lord, this morning we just come each in our own way. Just being thankful. And Lord, just looking to experience your mercy in greater and greater measure. That God, in experiencing that mercy that we can now go. And we can be ambassadors, dispensers, and purveyors of that mercy because you made very clearly that blessed are the merciful, for in that we shall find, we shall discover, and we too shall experience mercy. We just thank you for all of this, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.